This morning we're in Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 1, verses 21 through 39. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. This is the word of the Lord. If you would bow with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask for wisdom and hearts and desires that would be shaped by it. We pray that you would cause us this morning to treasure Jesus and to make much of him as we consider his authority over all things. In Christ's name, amen. There are a lot of things in this world I think all of you, if you were honest, would say, I wish I could fix. You know, you just, you wish you could fix them. And maybe you work at some area. Um, some of you may address cultural things or economic things or political things in your own way or like a health crisis or what, whatever it might be. You may be working on those things. Some of you may just sit and be frustrated by them, you know, thinking, what can we do? by all the struggles and all the troubles that are around us. And you struggle with um, the fact that for a lot of us, you think you're looking for somebody that can fix them. We need someone who can fix it. And that's, that's what you hear a lot. And uh, I think uh, that's something that uh, 
if we're not, you know, if we're not, we sometimes teeter on the edge of like really hoping for something or longing for something that just cannot happen in this world. And so it doesn't keep us from striving to try to make some of those things better and to be a part of things as we can. We have to be careful. And I think in the same way in our own lives, sometimes you think, <clears throat> if I could fix my attitude or my anger or my anxiety or some, you know, my appearance, my health, you, know, you just think there's all these things that you wish we could just fix them. You wish you had the authority to do so. And no matter how hard we might try, we can't just really alleviate those things. So it doesn't take away the fact that um, we encourage good things in this world and the culture that we live in and strive to be a blessing in those and strive to grow individually and as a family or even um, to touch uh, different aspects of what's going on in the world and try to help with those things. We do all those things, but we realize that Christ is the only one who has the authority to really address the issues of this world. And we look forward as Christians to the day when he will completely eradicate all those things that plague us in this present world and that we will be with him and restored to him. And so today we're going to see why we trust in a Jesus with this kind of authority. Because he did come and demonstrate that. And so if you're here today wondering, is there any hope uh, for this world, for my life, for the coming future, for all those things? If you're sitting there wondering, like, is there hope for these things? Um, you will not find them uh, in as this song we were just singing. It's not going to be found on earth, but rather uh, as you trusting in the Lord Jesus, he is, you, you know, believing, you are believing that he will return. And he will restore everything. And so we get a glimpse of that in the Gospels, and we await that in the future. And so we look forward to seeing all the things that the Lord has in store. Now, what we found out early in Mark is this, that the Gospel appears in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We see that in a living person. That's how Mark presents it to us. And then he begins his public ministry. And then we have a time where we're saying, okay, so what is that message? It is that the kingdom of God is at hand, Repent and believe the gospel. So there's this early on in Mark, he's explaining to you how you enter into this kingdom and how you know the king and, uh, and all of that. And then there's like right be be behind that is a group of disciples being called and they, they, they kind of demonstrate that. They leave their nets and they follow Jesus. They're, they're going to follow him and walk with him and they're going to be both called and commissioned. And so when you think about the, the kingdom and it coming, it has come in the first coming of Jesus and the fullness of that coming, uh, of, of all that he accomplished in his first coming, we'll see in the second. And so as you think about just all the ills, the things that plague you, the things that plague our world, and we think about who has the authority to fix them, I'm going to tell you who has the authority to fix them this morning. And um, we will see that on display. So Jesus' authority is seen in a number of things this morning. You ready? First one you see his authoritative teaching. The second, if you're taking notes, you see his authority over demons. Third, you see his authority over sickness. And fourth, you see the source of Jesus' authority. Those are the four things that I think you can kind of come away with uh, from this text and see that uh, very clearly. Now, um, I just when when I'm looking at this and I'm thinking about it, there are a number of things I've told you before 
uh, that might be helpful for you. I usually like to mark in the text of Scripture wherever I'm studying. If I have a Bible, study Bible, or uh, if I, we have some little things in the back where you can t- take notes or mark stuff. And um, I, I, like in this text today and, and throughout Mark, I would mark every reference to Jesus' teaching because you're going to see him teaching a lot. Uh, every, every reference to him healing, every reference to authority, um, uh, in this particular text, to the astonishment of the crowds, uh, to references of time, and then to prayer. Those are all things that I'm just going to mark out in my text so I can go back and look at it and say, oh, this is what this is about and this is what's going on as you study it. So that, hopefully that will help you. Now look at verse 21 and 22. It says, and they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching and they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. So you see him go to, uh, we see him go to Capernaum, which he's still in the northern region of Israel, as you may know already, and he is leaving Nazareth and he is going into Capernaum. Capernaum is kind of a major city. It will be the place where his ministry will be uh, working out and so what you're going to see is uh, and if you were to go and look at that city even today like the the old ruins of it you can see all the evidence that there was a a significant city here and people there were fishermen and farmers and all types of people working in this city Um, it also had a roman garrison there and so there's uh, if you were to study a little more about it you would find out even in mark that there are these things that Jews and Gentiles both lived there together and uh, that there were some good relationships there. Like one thing that you can read is that there was a a synagogue that was built by a a Gentile person, a Roman leader, and then you see the Jews like kind of going on behalf to Jesus on behalf of uh, one of the the, the leaders in the Roman world. And so all of that's kind of going on there. He's going to the central kind of place where things are happening And that's where this is about to take place. It's kind of like a day in the life of Jesus in Capernaum. That's kind of where you are. And so we're thinking about, again, his teaching. And so when you think about it, you kind of think about the city, you think about the timing and the location, which would lead you to say, oh, it's on the Sabbath. Some of you, if you're new to church, you don't know much about that. Uh, It was the seventh day. It was the day when the Jews would stop ceasing their labor. They would stop working. And then they would also go to the synagogue and there would be times of teaching there. It was primarily a a time of training and teaching in the law of God. And so they would gather for, much like we would say on the first day, we would gather for worship. And then we also have time of rest. And so we think in terms uh, of that, understand that, um, that kind of thought with regard to that. But specifically for the Jews, it was given as a command on the Sabbath, this is what you do. And so... They're, um, they're gathered there together. Now, uh, if you just study it just a little bit more, give you an idea, is there were these rulers of the synagogue, and they would kind of keep over the things, but then the people would actually do a lot of the teaching, just people that had studied the law of God, and, and there would be different types of people that would be coming in to teach, but, but it, would, it would come from the laity, if you will, in a way, not, not really a professional. Um, but you also read, as you kind of go further, you'll see that um, there were these people within this time period called scribes and the scribes would come and sometimes speak and they would be the ones who were like professors of the law and they would explain all those things to you and explain the way in which things were to go and so this is on sabbath jesus setting it up you're saying we're talking about his authority and you're coming in there and you're watching 
as you see this unfold, this, this, this story unfold, he's going to come in and he's going to take the place of speaking. And he's going to be uh, speaking to them uh, on behalf of the law. And we're not even going to go into the details of that. Mark oftentimes just says, like, focus in on him. He is the teacher. Other gospel writers will explain the things that he did teach. But in this case, uh, that is not what is taking place. And so as he comes in on the Sabbath, they're all waiting. Again, people would come and do this. He would step up and he would speak. Now look at the response in verse 22. And they were astonished. They were shocked at it. His teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Now, when you think about that, just, I mean, you stop and think, okay, what does that mean? I mean, some people would kind of say, well, uh, the scribes are all teaching bad stuff, and that's not the case. It was the idea here, when you think about authority, you would think in terms of supernatural authority. The idea when they're looking at that, the, the word that's even used will occur nine times here in, 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 the, in Mark and six times in reference to Jesus. And so his authority is like a, a God-given authority. And when he spoke, he spoke in that way. Every instance of authority uh, is, is tied in some way of those six that are direct and then the other three are tied to Jesus and the way that he speaks. See, the scribes would talk about the tradition of the elders. So they would say something like, well, and they might even cite like great rabbis, and they'd be like, this one said this, and this one said that, and all that kind of stuff. But when Jesus speaks, he's not speaking in that way. He really is, you could say something like this, Jesus is speaking uh, under the authority of the Father. He will say that in John's Gospel. Everything that I say, Everything that I've said, everything that I've done is under the authority of the Father. And so when he speaks, there will be times where what he says confronts the elders' views of that day, of the law. He does this in, in, in Matthew's, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you heard that it was said, but I say to you. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm going to give you the truest and the fullest interpretation of this law of these truths. And so Jesus' authority is heaven-sent. He is the true interpreter of the Word of God, and He will speak, and it is clear. And so you understand that His authority, His teaching, all of those things are an example of He is really speaking exactly what should be spoken. And it's totally and completely clear. So we see Jesus' authoritative teaching, which is really important. Because here's the deal. Here's what happens with Jesus' authoritative teaching. Religion is addressed. So I want you to think about it just for a moment. Some of you here grew up in churches, and you have this idea of what, uh, what the way it ought to be. You know? And it, was, it came from the traditions maybe passed down to you. So you might have a list of those. And As we study the Word of God together, you might come to the realization as we slow down and say, what did Jesus say about, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you? Does that match up with what you grew up believing? And you'll have to stop, oh, wait, hold on just a second, Jesus' words, I need to understand what he said, like, maybe I need to correct the way that I think about that, you know? Um, 
I mean, for some people, it, I mean, I started to say something really silly. But, I mean, it might be something like, well, you know, at my church, we didn't drink Coca-Cola, you know, because it had caffeine in it. And they told me when I was a kid that caffeine was, like, wrong, you know. And you're like, oh, okay, okay. Well, like, that's not in the Bible, you know. And so, but there's a lot of little things, and they would get more serious as you went along. And I, I just, so what we're trying to say is the authoritative teaching of Jesus is what we should listen to and not just and and the apostles that were given direction by him and expounded for us the fullness of the new testament so we see his authoritative teaching and then secondly you see his authority over demons so he goes in there and begins and then all of a sudden this man with an unclean spirit cries out in the midst of the group and he says what have you to do with us jesus of nazareth nazareth have you come to destroy us? I know you are the Holy One of God. So immediately in this thing, is, is exactly how it says, immediately he speaks and, and immediately he responds to Jesus coming. His authority shakes up the, what you cannot see there. The, the spiritual forces there. His authority comes in and like awakens you to the reality of those things because what happens is that the, the authorities in the unseen world are like, have you come here to address us now? And so what happens in the moment there when you look at that and you consider it is the inbreaking of God's kingdom in Jesus, when it begins, it not only addresses the human arena, but also the cosmic arena. And you will see throughout the study, and I told you with my kids, as we begin to read Mark's gospel, they were surprised by how much encounters there were with the heavenly realm, with the, the, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm as he is on, this, on display. Now, how does Jesus respond? He says to him first, he rebukes him and tells him to be quiet. And then he tells him to come out. And so Jesus is called by this demon the Holy One of God. By the way, the demons have a better theology than the people there. Like that's just kind of one of those. And that's kind of shocking to you. Something that might help you sometimes is some people say, well, I believe in Jesus. You're like, well, the demons believe in Jesus and even more than you. They are scared. They're frightened by him. So they believe in Jesus like, you've never believed in Jesus. I mean, there's some people I, I, I want to say, like, Jesus means nothing to you. Well, I believe in Jesus, but he doesn't mean anything to you. Well, I mean, no, not really. But he meant something to the demons. They were scared of him. Even though they didn't submit, they were still frightened over him. So there is a belief, by the way, in Jesus that is not a saving belief. There are right people that could have right understanding of Jesus and what he came to do. They could have all that knowledge and not really, truly bow the knee to him. So I think it's just important to understand that. But uh, So when we think about the Holy One of God in this sense, you can say just after like the, the inauguration of Jesus' kind of ministry starting at his baptism, just as that happened, um, he has spoken of the, the, as the beloved son. So you kind of say, well, that must mean what he's talking about is the holy one. 
Also, other people, the other place where this is mentioned is with Samson. Uh, he's called the Holy One of God. It's the only other place in the Bible it's mentioned. And so with that, um, Samson was one who would like fight against the enemies of God. That's kind of the way that you think about it. So you could think of him as Jesus subduing this evil prince of darkness and all of his minions. You could say it something like that. So we're seeing that on display. So you might say, okay, so what do we believe about Jesus? We have, he has an authoritative teaching. It is something that would speak to humanity and explain to them the true intention of God's plans and his word and his law and all those things. And he also has authority over the unseen realm. He has the power over those things we cannot see. Those things of darkness, those things that may in our present world may not even frighten you because we're, we're so foolish as to not think about those things. But you continue forward in verse 27 and 28. They were so amazed, the crowds that is, so they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And his fame spreads throughout the region. He is speaking and doing things like no other. The power that is on display is, is a power that's going to set captives free. That's kind of what you want to... It's going to set people free from the evil present age that's dominating them, from the dark teaching that is surrounding them. He's going to begin to set people free, and he's going to address the teachings and the, the, uh, the, the powers that are controlling. He's setting people free, and that's kind of what you will see. When Jesus' authority is reigning, when he's coming upon the scenes, he's going to begin to rescue people from this present darkness however it may come and then jesus authority over sickness verse 29 through 31 or and then 32 through 34 we'll just kind of look at that but it says immediately he left the synagogue entered the house of simon and andrew with james and john the disciples that he's just called in mark now simon's mother-in-law lay with fever and immediately they told him about her and he came and took her by the hand and lifted up her her up and her fever left her and she began to serve him what do you see here again there's a kind of an emphasis on his humility jesus humility throughout everything that he does is not just public it's it's not just public but also we see when he grabs her hand and lifts her up like she's immediately healed and have you ever had a fever and then after it's over you're like laying around for like three days thinking like this is never going to go away, you know. It's, uh, you, you, the fever leaves, but then it has like residual effects. That, that's not with this. Jeez, this is an immediate healing of her, so much so that she gets up and begins to serve them. So it's just <clears throat> a reminder to you of his power and authority in his teaching, in his casting out of demons, in his healings. So look at verse 32 through 34. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So what you see here is they start hearing about him, and so many begin to come. 
And not only does he heal once, but he heals multiple times, people throughout that whole region and in that town. So I think it's important to understand that and grasp that. Now, you might ask the question, like, why does he keep telling them to be quiet? I mean, that's kind of a question you think, why does he keep saying to the demons, be quiet, you know? Uh, Edwards says, on a practical, strategic level, it was necessary for Jesus to silence um, those things uh, because uh, the crowds already kind of want to ramp him up. By the way, just have you ever been a part of something where people were really excited and they just want to thrust someone into this place? They're almost like, it's almost like um, if you're not careful, you don't even have a choice. They just propel you up to this place and status that is just unbelievable. And, and so Jesus understands what they're thinking. And he, one of the things that um, in the Gospel of John is, he'll say, my time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. And so th- that's one thing, that he's like holding back those things. Second, which they don't, nobody really listens to him in that, but it, it is kind of a, so the second thing you might say is that he is, he's kind of profiling the servant of the Lord, where he is humble. He's not one that's trying to make much of himself. You know, you, you'll, religious leaders are some of the worst in this I mean, thing too, and their followers are really like this. You'll see it where there's people like, well, so-and-so said it, you know, it's like, oh, is he the authority? I mean, he's Jesus, you know, you know, you kind of wonder like, don't get a little, you know, get a little crazy about your leader or whatever. And then the other thing is, is um, sometimes though, you know, people are trying to build their platforms constantly. And so in both cases, I think there, you just have to be careful and consider that. Now, so that's one of the, the, the things that I think is really helpful. So one, he's kind of holding back the crowds from he has things to do before he's going to face the whole of the religious and uh, military system that is there. And also, he is a, a humble person. He d- demonstrates that over and over. So, Jesus' authority is seen in his teaching, his authority over the demons, his authority over sickness. And then um, then you kind of have to ask, say, well, like, what is the source of this authority? Which, again, no one really is thinking about that or considering that. And Jesus is really going away and, and spending time with the Father. And you see that. It's in, you see his prayer life here. It says in verse 35, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. We see him in Mark pray three times. And this is one of those. This is the first of those. And the work of the Son of God, this is kind of what you would say, is both an inward and outward work. Jesus cannot extend himself outward in compassion without first attending to the source of his mission and purpose with the Father. And conversely, his oneness with the Father compels him outward in mission. And so this inward and outward thing, you see that on display. You see the work that he is doing is empowered by uh, his investment in the time with the Father, centering himself on the Father's will, doing just as the Father has commanded him to do. And we would be wise to learn from that, right? Because I think sometimes uh, we have a tendency to not really consider the inner life. And, and so we have to continue to grow in that. We are drawing on the strength in which God provides for us. We need his help. We need his strength. We need him to do what only he can do and accomplish for us. In verse 36 and 37, you see, uh, you're going to see Simon Peter uh, address Jesus and say, everyone's looking for you. Shouldn't you be here? Like, that, that's a common thing. 
Because Simon Peter's just thinking like, don't you see what's happening? They're all following you. We've got to like, you know, kind of cut hay while the sun's shining here. You know, you got to get moving on this. And so the pressure of Simon Peter on Jesus is kind of something you see again, and you may have experienced this in your own life, where it's almost like people will say that's what needs to be done. But he understands that he has his ultimate purpose and he is going to work it out as the Lord would have him do. He is moving exactly at the pace that the Lord would have him move. And I think this is on display in a very beautiful way. And so verse 38 and 39, he said to them, let us go to the next town that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. So he's going to move throughout the region. And then he's going to go, of course, to Jerusalem. But you understand, all of this take, is taking place according to God's timing and in his way. So you might say, I mean, for me, I think, like, what do we do with that? What do we do with this authority? What do we do with this power that's on display? How do we respond to this? Um, what, what does it look like for that to be on display in the church today? Christ's power? Because some people would, would have different ideas of that. What, what does that look like for us? Um, I think one thing we have to say is Jesus demonstrated his authority in his earthly life and ultimately did so in his sacrificial death. It actually says in Colossians 2 that Satan and his demons were stripped of their power and authority. That they were stripped of their power and authority at the cross. And so I think primarily what our role is, is to go and proclaim who Jesus is. We are to announce to the world Jesus' authority, his power, his kingship, his kingdom. We're announcers of that. We go out and say, we, we're speaking to the world and proclaiming to them the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus said to his disciples in his final farewell to them, all authority is given to me, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. As you've seen this morning, we've been discipling, and then these two young ladies believe, and we baptize them, and we keep training them, and we're sending them out. And so what's what we do? We go and proclaim the message of the gospel. You might say something like, how do you deal with the spiritual forces? You proclaim the gospel. That's how you deal with them. Are they real? Yes. Do we need to go find them around this building? I don't think so. What, what you do is you proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. And that is that Jesus Christ came, lived, died, rose again, was victorious over sin, death, hell, the grave, Satan, all those things. And as a result, His gospel has the power to set captives free from sin, from their, their, their struggles with whatever sin that might be plaguing them, from the spiritual darkness that's around them, from all of the troubles in this present world that we're living in. The gospel message is what we bring to a broken world that's shackled in chains and in darkness and, and overcome by all kinds of troubles. You might say, so... The spiritual darkness and all those things, you preach the gospel to that. You preach the gospel of the kingdom to confront error where people are teaching things that are not true. You preach that. You hold that up high. 
You might ask the question of what about healing? And I would say at the same time, we're preaching that gospel of the kingdom and that Jesus is one who has come to bring healing and to bring life and to restore all things. And some of that healing we'll see on this earth and some of that healing we will see in the future. And so again, we're still, we can still pray and should pray in light of the kingdom for God to heal people. And so all of those things, again, we're not seeing the fullness of that. The first coming is like the inbreaking of the kingdom. In his second coming, the fullness of that will be seen. But in between, we proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, and that means that we're going to confront uh, people's bondage to sin. We're going to confront the powers. We're going to confront sickness with the gospel message, and we are going to pray, and we are going to preach, and we're going to keep doing that. That's what we do. That's what we do. That is the, the work in which God has called us to do. We are compelled to do that. And so at this church, what we try not to do is give in to like things where it's, um, I don't know, somebody says something like, well, I just need you to help me with this. Well, what's your problem? Well, I've been spending too much money lately. Okay, well, I'm going to give you like uh, th- these three steps to financial help. And you're like, that was good. Boy, I feel good today, man. We're going to get our finances in order. Everybody's, you know. That, that's not primarily what you're going to get here. What you're going to get here is we are going, now we may say something like this, your finances need to come under the authority of Christ. If you're a Christian, like Paul said, you need to work with, like you need to work with your hands. You need to stop stealing. That's what one example Paul gave. Work with your hands and give to those in need. We're going to say that, right? Because that's, that is teaching that would be right and in accordance with God. But we're not just primarily trying to say, hey, like, let me make your life really happy and easy. And I've got these plans for all of you. Any question you have, we'll meet it with, like, whatever verse I can cherry pick out of the Bible. That's not what we do. We preach the gospel of the kingdom. And the gospel of the kingdom sets prisoners free. And when it sets prisoners free by the power of God, they begin to live under the authority of King Jesus. They begin to live according to his ways. They walk in his power and it changes things. It impacts their family. It impacts their marriages. It impacts the way they raise children. It impacts the way that they spend money. It impacts the way of everything that they are doing. So we preach so that you are in awe of him. So that you see him that you recognize His authority, that you treasure Him, that you bow before Him, that you submit to His Lordship, that you serve His church, that you do what He has called you to do. We try to explain His great authority so that it leaves you in awe and in service. Romans 12, 1 and 2. This is, I think, maybe the King James Version. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable kind of service of worship. What we say is, if you'll come in, in, in by God's Spirit's power, come to understand the authority of Jesus, you will be in awe. That changes lives. That's like gospel power. It changes lives. And someone who sees him will say, how can I serve him? How can I worship him? Time, resources, and talents, they're his. Whatever he's given me, they're his. 
Whatever He wants to do with me, it's all His. Let me give my life back in a small way. I know it's only small. In light of what He's done for me, let me offer back my life to Him. He's King. I bow before Him. I honor Him. His authority reigns over my life. That's one of the things you see when someone is truly become a Christian, they're saying to themselves, I have seen the King. He reigns. He is King. He is good. He has like come to deliver. He's come to rescue us. How can I not only believe upon Him, but live a life that would be pleasing to Him? That's what we preach. This is the Gospel message. This is the clarity with which Mark comes to us. Respond to this King who has authority over all the things that frighten you, all the things that are uh, happening around you that like make you wonder how things are going to ever work out. He says, look, there is one who is the seated, sovereign King of the universe. Bow the knee to Him and serve Him. And all those other things that you get so worried about when you're submitting to the King, they will take care of themselves. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the power of the Gospel. We thank You for its simplicity and clarity. We thank You that the good news is summed up in a person, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came, who lived, who d- d- demonstrated for us His power in the way that He taught, in the way that He dealt with the powers of darkness, in the way that He dealt with disease and sickness in the source that He went to. We see all of that. I pray today for some here who may have heard a little bit about Jesus, but never really come to a saving knowledge. I pray You would save them today. And for those who have come to saving faith, I pray that You would inspire them today to be announcers of the kingdom, ambassadors for the King. In Christ's name, Amen. If you would stand with me.